Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. As we were worshiping over there, my thoughts just went to the prodigal son. How he demanded his inheritance and he ran off. Found himself this Jewish boy eating in the with the pigs. And it was the revelation of his father's goodness that turned him around. And he went back to the house. Because the father, because of the father's goodness to him, it changed his circumstance. And he moved. And then when he started to come up over the hill, his father, who had been looking for him, saw him a great way off. And he did what Jewish fathers wouldn't do. He took off running. He ran, and he embraced his son. But when he embraced his son, he didn't scold him. He said, no, Father, I've sinned. I just want to be a servant. He said, I, I didn't ask you to be my servant. I want you as my son. And so he, he put his robe on him. I'm giving you my identity. You have been identified as a son. And I'm going to give you this ring which represents my authority. You're going to do what you do in my name. And maybe the part of the story that we miss many times is he took the sandals, the shoes, and he put them on his feet. Yes, barefoot, it's a symbol of poverty. But do you notice in the story of Boaz and Ruth, Boaz went to the near kinsman redeemer and the, the contract exchanged. And what happened is the one making the contract with Boaz, he took off a sandal and he handed it to him. What does that tell him? He's saying that, look, I no longer have the right to that field. I'm giving you the right. So you put the shoes on your feet. It says, now I have the right to walk into my inheritance. So John, the Baptist, shows up. He says, whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. In other words, I can't give you the redemption. I can only bring you to the Redeemer. I don't have the right of the inheritance. He is the one that gives you the right of inheritance. See, so he clothes us in his identity. He gives us his authority. And then he gives us the right to walk in the promises that he has put before us. And it comes at the revelation of his goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It's the goodness of God. We, we sing these songs, and I just, I, I just, every time that we sing that one chorus, I begin to think about all the hills and valleys. And, you know, Lord, you're worthy of it all. I think about when my, when my children were lost, but then they were found. I think about whenever I was lost and I was found. I think about the struggles in life, and I think about how faithful God is, how his goodness just keeps compelling us. They keep moving forward. Father, we just want to thank you tonight. You know, in that story, the prodigal son, we always glamorize and glorify the prodigal. 
It's not just a story about two sons. It's a story about three sons. The prodigal that goes out, the elder that stays in the house, and the son that's truly telling the story of what the father's heart really is. (laughs) Jesus, reveal. You have revealed to us the goodness of our father. Lord, we just thank you tonight. And Lord, every good gift and perfect gift comes down from the God who never changes. Not even a shadow, Lord God, attorney. Lord, we just want to thank you tonight for, Lord, the impartation of your goodness in this house. Thank you for your mercy. Let your love captivate every heart, every home to bring such a transformation that your goodness, Lord, is revealed to the world around us. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Aren't you glad you came? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Ushers, make your way down. I'm telling you, such an anointing on the Word today. William just he just unpacked it and unfolded some very, some very challenging and, and difficult concepts and just laid it out there in such tangible way. It's the anointing. It's the anointing that enables us. And I, I believe we could have just preached him flat to death today because there was a, a drawing. You know, preaching is not just a one-way street. It's a, you've got to have a, a hunger. You've got to have a hunger to draw out and so I feel that hunger tonight. So I want to, uh, with no further ado, we're going to take the offering tonight, and then we're going to we're going to let William come straight up and just take the take the pulpit. But folks, you're sowing into good soil tonight, amen. And let the Lord. You don't know what your contribution, what you, when you sow into this ministry, you will make an eternal change in somebody's life. This is going to get them to the next meeting and the next meeting and the next meeting. But they've come and poured their heart out. Let's pour our heart out tonight and give generously so that we can see the kingdom of God furthered in these days. Amen? Just ask the Lord what he would have you to do. Father, we just thank you tonight and ask, Lord God, that you would bless the gift and the giver. And, Lord, we know that this is going, Lord God, to the furtherance of your kingdom. And, Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord God, and we want you to have full access to our heart. Because, Lord, we want to give you full access to our treasure. And, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would just release in this house such an overwhelming spirit of generosity. Lord, as we bless this couple tonight, Lord, as we can, in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. God bless you as you give tonight.
Amen. Let's give these guys a hand. Come on, they're awesome. <laughs> I thought Pastor was going to introduce me, but I guess not. Uh, <laughs> I'm already family, brother. <laughs> hey, brother. I have absolutely enjoyed being here last night and, and this morning. It's been a wonderful time, hasn't it? Come on. I always love it when I get to come back to the South. You guys get my redneck humor. Praise Jesus. It's going to be a fun night tonight. You know, I was sitting there just kind of thinking about worship, and, 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 and I love going places where people understand the value of worship and have a worshiping culture. And it made me think back when I was a, a pastor at a church, and I would see people come in after the worship service or worship set, and they would come in to hear the teaching of the Word. And one day I asked one of these gentlemen, I said, well, why do you always come in after the worship? And he said, oh, for the singing? I said, well, it's a little more than singing. I said, think about it this way. Jesus is not here to hear me preach. Jesus is here to be worshiped. And so the worship is for Jesus, not for us. It's for us to come together as sons and daughters of God to lift up the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Je what am I going to tell Jesus about himself that he don't know? He's not here to hear me preach. Now, he's probably here to watch me and laugh because I guarantee you Jesus has a good time watching me preach. It's funny. <laughs> For you that may be just joining us tonight, you may not be in here last night or this morning, uh, my wife, my beautiful bride, is with me on this trip, babe. Can you wave? I, I like to ask her to stand up, but she never does, so I'm just going to stop doing that. But she is with me, and I always enjoy it when, when she is with me because it, it, I, I can just tell there's an increase in anointing when my wife is with me. And I've seen her bless so many people, pray for so many people. To be honest with you, once she prays for you, you don't want me to pray for you anymore. You'll, you'll see why. If she prays for you tonight, like, I'm going to go to her from now on. <laughs> she has a little more compassion. I may just tell you to pull your thumb out your mouth and grow up, you know. I'm, ki I'm kidding. I won't do that. I'll be a blessing to you. But one of the things that you'll notice with our ministry is we're focused on equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You know, that's the Ephesians 4 mandate is the fivefold function is not for the entertaining of the saints. It's for the equipping of the saints. But in large part in America, we have turned that around where the saints pay the minister to do the work of the ministry. That's why he's a professional minister. Well, the reality is my responsibility as a minister is to empower you, to equip you so that you can fulfill your purpose and destiny, not just serve my vision. Actually, the greater the leadership position, the higher the servanthood that needs to be expressed from that position. Positions are not here to lord it over you, but to come under and to serve you into your purpose and value so that you can fit into the body of Christ fully equipped. Amen? But in large part, since we've created this unhealthy model where it's about paying the minister to do the work of ministry or to perform for the people, it's created insecurities in ministers which to the point they don't want to see other people empowered because they may be more anointed. 
This is one thing I love about Dr. Randy Clark, my spiritual father, is like there's no insecurity in him to the point where he tries to hold people down for fear that they may be more anointed than he is. He actually looked at me and says, William, no, I want you to stand on my shoulders and go beyond any place that I could ever go myself. I want to lay the foundation for you to start where my ministry is ending. And, and that's the role and functions of us ministers. But not only am I a minister, I'm also a saint that sits in the pew. And we must never forget that in church. I don't know why I'm saying this right now. This is not part of my plan. But it may be part of the Holy Spirit's plan. And so, so this right here is probably helping somebody in this room. And so this is one of the reasons that we make product. I used to be one of these people that, that I used to have an issue with product because I didn't want to come here and feel like I'm trying to sell you something, right? But, the, but, the, but again, Randy Clark, my spiritual father, he sits me down. He says, William, he says, you don't make product to make money. You make product to make disciples, he says, that book that you just wrote is going to be able to continue to minister to people when you've run your race dead and gone. That book is still going to disciple people. As soon as he said that, it changed the motivation, the emphasis of it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start writing. So every morning for the first two hours of my day, I get up and I write. And I'm actually working on a, on a New Testament study guide right now that I'll be finishing the book of Romans probably by the end of this year just to help people to have basic foundational biblical understanding and theology and truth that's pulling from the scripture without, without losing people and stuff, trying to simplify it. And somebody asked me, well, William, what qualifies you to do that? I said, Jesus and me. Jesus and you is what qualifies you. The Holy Spirit is the best theologian. I think he knows a little bit about it himself. And so I write because I want to continue to, in, to, to, to produce into people the truths that the Lord has shown me. So you'll notice when you came on, I had my brand new book with me. It's called Every Day a Victory. And how many of us know every, every day a victory is a right and inheritance as every son and child of God? The victory Christ gained on the cross is the foundation in which you begin as a believer. But here's the, here's the key factor. He provides the victory to you, but it's your responsibility to appropriate it in your life. Because God doesn't want to do everything for you. He wants to do things with you. That's why he's giving you your, your, your free will is because he wants partnership with it. You'll also notice that my wife has some product out there. Now, let me get some context to the jewelry that she has. She's partnered with several different ministries that, that establish, establish safe homes all around the country as well as the world, rescuing children out of the sex, uh, sex trade and establishing these safe homes and teaching them trades, teaching them the word and so that they can become productive in society. So you need to know that when you buy one of those products, that is what the proceeds is going for. Anybody ready for the word of God now? This is what I love. I love to teach the word. About three months ago, the Lord kind of rebuked me because the past five years, I've been primarily ministering out of my iPad or iPhone. And the Lord finally rebuked me. He says, William, I want you to go back to only using your paper Bible because you need to reinforce the authority of my word in people's hearts. 
He says, when you're reading from your iPhone or iPad, people don't really know if you're reading the Bible or not. He says, but when you have it in your hand, they're going to see it and they're going to know, oh, he's speaking the word of God. Because there has been a major attack upon the authority of the word the past five or six years in this country. I said this uh, the first night or this morning, there's a new translation of the Bible out called the Queen James Bible. That is, that is heretical. And what people have done is they, if they have gone throughout the Bible and every scripture that dealt with homosexuality, they either redefined it or took it out to, to justify what they wanted to justify. You see, what most people do is they form beliefs about God and then try to fit it into Scripture. What I try to do is I try to let the Word of God determine my belief system. Listen, the only word that carries the authority of God's voice is the one he spoke. And what I do is I, I, I remember the first time I realized this. I remember when I first started studying the Bible, I would go to it, and, and, and this probably happens to you, I would get offended by it. Anybody ever read the Bible and got offended? me. And as soon as he said that, I realized, oh, I'm forming beliefs about God that I'm trying to fit into the Word instead of just letting the Word determine what I believe. Family, tonight, I want you to posture your heart with this right here. Let the authority of this word determine what you believe. And if it offends you, it may be because you're holding to an opinion, oh, Lord, that you're valuing more than what God says. Here's the, here's, here's the good news. You're not God. That's good news, ain't it? You're not God. The issue a lot of times is when we try to define our own existence, we end up perverting what he perfected. The only person that has the authority to determine your identity, your purpose, and your value is actually your creator, the one that formed you. You know, when you make something, you make it to function a certain way. When you created something with your hands, you create it to function a certain way. And when it tries, listen, if that right there doesn't function in the way that you designed it to, oh, Lord, it malfunctions. What this word right here does is it, is I felt like the, the Lord wanted me to talk about the church and begin it to use it for their purpose. Listen, by definition, the imagination means this right here, the place in which images are formed. How many of us know every single person in this room, you have an image that governs your life. Every single one of us in this room, you have an imagination. Are you guys following me? You have an imagination on the inside of you. You have an image on the inside of you about yourself, about the world around you, about God, about the devil. Every single one of us has an image that's directing our identity, that's directing our purpose, what we do in life. My point is this. What if we actually sanctify the imagination to the point where it becomes a blank canvas in which the Word of God can paint the pictures or images that he wants us to do he wants us to fulfill in our life on the inside 
I want you to think about it this way. I used this analogy this morning, but it will fit right here as well. In this room right now, there are natural invisible realities all around us in this room. There are TV signals in this room. There are radio signals in this room. How do we know this? It's because we've seen the visible manifestation of it with a television, or we've heard the manifestation of that with a radio. I can it says all scripture, not some script, scripture, scripture comes by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It is by his spirit. And so what happens when I get the word of God in my heart, it constructs an image of his that Before this building was constructed, it was first formed in someone's mind. And you know that hamburger will kill you. But they make it look so tasty and so good, it puts an image in your heart. And here's the, here's the next step to it. With every image is a corresponding desire. In other words, the desires that govern you is produced by the images you have formed. And when that McDonald's commercial is, uh, is being projected into your heart, you're seeing that Big Mac, you already know they're going to fist, pump, fist uh, punch that sucker right before they hand it to you. But that image of that commercial has formed a desire in your heart where you're still going to go and get it. Why? Because they understand the power of image. I mean, the first time I bought my vehicle, I went to the car dealership. What do you think the, the, the salesman said? It said to me, hey, William, come and get in the car with me. Let's go for a ride. What did he want me to do? He wanted me to see myself in this car. He wanted me to see myself driving it. He wanted me to see myself in life with this vehicle. He wanted me to smell that new car smell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I wonder if cars actually have that new car smell or if it's just that air freshener that you can buy at Walmart for 30 cents and spray in there, right? In other words, when I went there, the reason I left with a GMC Sierra, because that's what Jesus drives, the reason I left with that truck was because I saw myself in it. You see, every single one of you has an image that you have on the inside about yourself. The issue is most people don't have a biblical image of themselves. What most people see when they look into a mirror is a reflection of all the lies they have believed. I wouldn't even say it this way. Many people in this society, many people in this country, maybe even in this neighborhood has never actually dis has discovered or seen them for the, in, in any point in time in their life. Let me say it a different way. Most people have never experienced the real them. They've only experienced a false version of who they are. Because when they look into the mirror, they see the reflection of those lies. I'm stupid. I'm poor. I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I'm depressed. I'm whatever, dot, dot, dot. And those images produce the desires because every image has a corresponding desire or emotion. You can bring up a memory from your history, and as soon as you bring that memory up to the forefront of your mind, all the emotions attached to the, ministry, to the memory comes back up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But the good news is you can actually change those images, therefore changing the emotional attachment to those images. 
to those memories. Is this helping? I'm going somewhere. Don't lose me. This, listen, this right here isn't fantasy. Fantasy is not just unseen, but it's not real. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ability to see the unseen reality of the kingdom all around us. Well, what about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7? For we walk by faith and not by sight. That sight that's being referred to is that I don't let the natural things that I see determine the faith in which I live according to. It doesn't mean that faith is blind. It means it has another set of eyes in which it sees. I would like to suggest to you that the eyes of your faith is your imagination. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. Now, don't lose me. I, I know this is basic. This is practical. But every single person in this room, you use your imagination on a daily basis. William, I just don't believe that. Well, if I asked you right now to close your eyes and to tell me how many windows is in your house, you have probably never counted the windows in your house, but you can use your imagination right now, go inside every single room, count those windows, and come up with a number that you probably have never counted before. So don't tell me you don't have an imagination. You may not just be using it for destiny. It may be being abused. Oh, Lord. You see, the demonic realm understands the power of image. Satan understands this. Why do you not realize when you turn that television on, television, it is projecting an image on the inside of you. And why do you think most of the stuff you watch on TV now is propagating sin? I mean, some of us spend hundreds and thousands of dollars every year to allow the devil to entertain us in our home. We'll point the finger at others that actually commit adultery, but yet we'll go and watch a movie that has adultery and fornication and gossip and murder in it. Now realizing is projecting an image or imprinting an image in our heart and is desensitizing us to the spirit. Is this helping? Like I hope I'm not rambling here. But this is in me like fire in my bones. This one concept right here has absolutely transformed my life when I realized that God wanted me to dream. That God wanted to use my imagination to dream with him. Come on now. I'm going to make a radical statement right here. You will not do anything with your body that you haven't first done in your mind. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 right here. This is right after... The fall of man has taken place and corruption and evil is increasing in the land. And a statement is made right here in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 that I think is pertinent for this message. And it's an interesting statement and it goes like this. It says, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I began to look at that word 
intent, and you know what is translated? It means imagination. So let's read it and put the word imagination right now, right there. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So why was evil increasing? Because they were seeing it in their heart before they act on it when their life. In other words, evil was being formed in the heart or the minds of people, in their imagination. They were seeing themselves doing those deeds, therefore they did those deeds. I'm going to make a radical statement right here. You do not fall into sin like you tripped over a stick. William, I just don't know how that woman came in my house and just stripped all her clothes out and got butt naked up in my bed. I just don't know how I slipped up in there. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure I know how you slipped into that situation because probably two years prior to the adulterous affair, you were seeing and imagining things in your heart. You had no business seeing or imagining, and it produced a desire that when a moment occurred, you acted on a desire that's been building for two years because what you meditate on grows. Oh. So sin is premeditated. You do not do anything with your body that you haven't first done in your mind. Well, well I, thought, I thought sin just came on me like a seizure. I thought I didn't have anything to do with it. I just, you know, I thought it just happened. No, it was because improper use of the imagination and you see right here, evil was increasing in the land because every imagination of the faults of their heart was evil continually. I began to look at this verse right here, and I did a word study on the word imagination. There are several different definitions of the word imagination, but one of them that actually stuck out to me was this. The imagination is the place of conception. It is the place in which things are formed. Whoo, man. This right here, it's transform your life when you realize it. What I'm talking about, if you grasp this right here, because we focus so much on, on, on maintaining the outward acts of things, but we haven't dealt a lot with dealing with the issues of the heart. What are you thinking? What are you meditating on? What are you imaging? What are you seeing in your heart? Because everything that you see is producing a desire that you will act upon. Am I coming across mad? I'm not mad. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is in case you don't believe me yet. James chapter 1 right here, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed that word desires there. And your translation may say lust. A lot of times we only associate the word lust to sexual desire, but it actually means strong desire. 
but it goes on to say this. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, full grown, brings forth death. And so you see right here, the process of sin is conceived. Is this helping, Pastor? What are you seeing? What are you imagining? What are you sitting at home dreaming? Because that's forming more of your destiny than anything else. Your imagination is the womb of your destiny, and you will never become who you don't see. You know what I started doing when the Lord began to speak this word to me? I mean, it was, it was 2006 and seven when the Lord began to teach me about tr changing the image I had on the inside. And I just bought this house. I had paid $4,500 for it. And I had been living there for about two years at that time. And I just gone through like this demonic attack. And I was walking in some breakthrough. But the Lord still needed me to see myself the way he called and designed me to be. Not the way the world labeled me, not the way my friends labeled me, not the way the police labeled me, not the way that people's opinions about me labeled me, but the way God labeled me and saw about me. And this is what the Lord told me to do. I, I was living in this house, and I didn't own a TV, I didn't have a cell phone, and I lived there for six years, and I didn't have any distraction from the outside world. And what I would do for eight to ten hours a day for six years is I would get in that word right there, and I would allow that word to form images on the inside of my heart. But then he told me this, this one truth that absolutely transformed my life. He says, William, I want you to go and look into the mirror, and I want you to preach truth to yourself. Let's go back to James 1 right here. I want to lay a foundation of this. Is this helping? Yes. Pay attention. James chapter 1, verse uh, 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And so he begins to give this, this comparison or this, this picture of a man looking in a mirror. Now, let me ask you, when you look into a mirror, what do you see a reflection of? A reflection of yourself. But how, how, how can you trust the reflection that you see? You have to trust the accuracy of the mirror. Do you realize you have never actually seen your face before? Let me say it a different way. You've never directly seen your face before. You've only indirectly seen your face. If I try to see my face, the only thing I can see is my red nose right there. You have never seen your face directly. You've only seen a reflection of your face. So how, how are you confident that the image that you think you have is accurate? You have to trust the accuracy of that mirror that you're beholding. Oh, man. I, I, I'm preaching some good stuff right here. I'm going to go home blessed by this. Man, if this puts you to sleep, I can't help you. I mean, yeah. And I began to read that. And I'm like, oh, man, he's, he's creating this contrast of a natural man looking in a natural mirror, seeing a natural reflection of his natural self. And then he goes on to say this in verse uh, 24. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Did I skip a verse there? 
Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continues in it, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So he's basically saying this. In the same way that you look into a natural mirror to see a reflection of your natural self is the same way you look into the spirit spiritual mirror to see a spiritual reflection of your spiritual self. Man, this right here changed your life. You have to understand spirit, soul, and body. You have to understand 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. You're a spirit, you're a soul, and you're a body. You have to understand that when you became a born-again believer, it was your spirit that became a new creation. And it was your spirit that's been joined with God, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. And it's your spirit that is perfected and made righteous and holy and pure. And so it is your spirit that when you look into this word right here, it forms an image of in the soul. Oh, man. One of the worst things that we can do as a believer is have the resurrection Christ on the inside of us and live ignorant of that reality. It's to not look into the spiritual mirror of God's word to form the image of Christ dwelling in me in my heart that I can actually see. It's already there. It's in your spirit, but you've got to pull it, draw it out of that spirit into the soul called the renewing of the Does this happen? And so when I ran this and I went to the mirror and and I started speaking truth to me, and the Lord told me this, he says, William, I want you to go through the Bible. I want you to find every Bible verse that deals with your identity, and I want you to speak that to yourself. And the first text that I used was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, what I, you know what I discovered? The first time I tried to speak that to myself, the moment I got to the punchline or the truth of the text that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, I broke eye contact with myself because I didn't believe it on the inside. I couldn't see it on the inside. I understood it intellectually, but I didn't have an image of it to, a, to the point it produced the desire. Oh, Lord. It produced that nature. It produced, oh, man, like, are you following me here? But you know what I started doing? It was the most awkward thing I've ever done in my life. I forced myself to look eyeball to eyeball in the mirror and talk to me and speak to me and speak truth to me. It's, it's weird. Go home and try. You'll see what I'm talking about. I didn't do this for 30 or 40 minutes. I only did this for five or 10 minutes at a time, but I kept doing it every day, forcing myself, forcing myself. No, you need to get truth inside of your heart. You need this word to construct an image on the inside of you that now directs your desires and your direction of your life. You know what happened? After about six or seven months, my life began to be completely transformed. And the Lord spoke a word to me. He says this, He says, William, I needed you to speak truth to yourself until you could see that reflection of that truth in yourself. Because any truth that doesn't first minister to you would never become a ministry through you.
The next six months, I had a neighbor that moved in next door. And at this time, I never preached a message to anybody. At this time, I had never led anybody to the Lord but myself. Because when I was preaching to myself from the mirror, man, the anointing would fall on me. I started crying like, yeah, yeah, I need Jesus. And I would lead myself to Jesus. I did altar calls on myself. Like, some of you need to go lead yourself to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I know this, this, I know this sounds weird, but even science shows this now, that one of the most effective ways to instill self-image is by speaking to yourself in the mirror. So if you want to go that route, even science has now proven the word of God. Go figure. And so I had a neighbor that moved in, and, and, and so I already know how intense my face looks. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not mad at you. I just look this way. I'm actually a nice guy. But my neighbor moves in, and it was this young lady. With, she had a, this child, a 10-year-old kid with her. And, and so they walk over to my house to greet, to greet me and, and to say hello. And she, this little girl had this brown box in her hand. And she says, and I want to give you this, this housewarming gift, this, this gift because we're your neighbors. This is a, a sign of friendship. And, and so I took this box, and you know, I said bye to the, to the neighbors. And I walk into my house, and I open up the box. And, and inside the box was this little bitty black kitten. Now, does that look like I want a cat? You know what I'm saying? I like I wanted a pit bull. I wanted something that's going to hurt somebody. No, no, I'm kidding. I don't want anybody. But I'm like, do I look like I really want a cat in my house? I mean, I have, I have only met demonized cats. You know what I'm talking about? And so I, I'm looking at this cat, and I'm thinking, man, I can't really get rid of this cat because I took it from this kid, and I know this kid's going to ask me about this cat next time I see this kid. So I can't get rid of this cat. I said, well, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to take care of this cat, and I'm going to name this cat Cookie because I like chocolate chip cookies, now keto version. And, and, and I just love it, so I named this cat Cookie. Now, one day I'm sitting in my, in my bathroom, and I'm preaching truth to myself, and I noticed this cat walked in and started listening to me. I'm losing you now, huh? And I'm like, man, this, that's odd. This, this cat is listening to me preach the gospel to myself. And, and, and then I read in Romans chapter 8 where it says, all of creation is awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God so the creation itself can be set free from its corruption into the freedom of the glorious children. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to start practicing my messages on my cat, and I'm going to see what's going to happen. Now, now listen, you, you, I know this sounds crazy, but you know what I was doing? I was forming an image on the inside of me of me being a minister that God wanted to send to the nations. If I couldn't start with myself, how was he going to trust me in the bush? Preparation creates the door of opportunity. And some of us want the door of opportunity without any preparation, and we wonder why the doors always close when we knock on them. Because you're not prepared to actually go through them. And so I'm sitting there preaching to myself in the mirror. This cat comes and is just sitting there looking at me. And so I turned and I started preaching to my cat. I know this sounds weird, but just, just what I did. I, I don't go around leading animals to Jesus. I just want to cl clarify that. And so I started looking at Cookie and I, and I started preaching to Cookie. And I'm like, Cookie, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Like I get to the punchline, right? It's time for that cat to get saved. And every day, day after day, week after week, this cat's like, this is an idiot. 
I mean, this cat's just looking at me, and, and finally, I'm doing this enough. I don't know if the cat felt sorry for me or whatever, but I finally get to a point I'm looking at Cookie. I says, now, Cookie, are, are you ready to receive salvation? And this is no lie. This cat literally looks up at me and says, meow. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I led my cat to Jesus. I'm like, this is a saved cat. Like, this sucker's going to be in heaven. Like, I, and I just went berserk in my house. And so the first two people I ever led to the Lord was me and my cat. Amen. <laughs> I hope this isn't too much for you guys. The re I feel like now looking back, one of the reasons that the Lord wanted me to start in that way is because I was such an introvert and I had such a fear of preaching and speaking in front of people that he had to get me comfortable with seeing me preaching truth and ministering. <laughs> Listen, your personality does not have the authority to determine how God can use you. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not either. Amen. But by the Holy Spirit, I've been filled with resurrection power. And so I lead my cat to Jesus, and this is the next step the Lord told me to do. He says, now, William, I want you to lay in bed at night, and I want you to begin to dream with me. See, most people, when they lay down at night, they don't dream with God. They dream with the devil. What do you mean, William? I don't sit around and think of things of the devil. If, you, if you're thinking about your circumstances, you're thinking about your issues, you're thinking about all the natural things and complications in your life, you're allowing your imagination to be hijacked. You are the greatest threat to your destiny. Not the devil. You, because God has given you authority over you. You cannot control your neighbor, but you can control you. And I remember sitting in my living room, sitting in my house, and I realized, man, I'm, I'm the problem. <laughs> and it blessed me to realize I was my own problem, because if you're the problem, I cannot do anything about you. But if I'm the problem, I can do something about me. That is the most empowering concept that you can hear is that you are the one that determines your internal reality. You control it by what you focus the mind upon. How do you think take your thoughts captive? By what you focus your mind upon. And I remember I would get down in my bed and, and I would close my eyes and I would start dreaming with God. I would start seeing myself healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing the lepers. I would start seeing myself doing the works of Christ and I would open up the gospels and, and I would say, Lord, the you were doing these things with the disciples and, and I'm a disciple. And, and, and I, I want to see myself doing what those disciples did. I want to see my shadow healing the sick. I want to see the multitudes being fed through my hands. I, I want to see myself uh, going after all of this. And I began to construct these images in my heart, these biblical images. And every single day it was beginning to grow 
stronger desires in my heart to be a minister. And I did this probably for, I don't know, four or five months until I saw my first person get healed. And, and at the time, I would always go to this nearby gas station back when gas was cheap. And I would, I would go and I would either pay for somebody's gas or I would pray for them during lunch, lunch break at, at this job I had. And I'm sitting there day after day, week after week, month after month, and I'm sitting there praying with people, not seeing a whole lot. People are experiencing the love of Christ, of course. But one day, this person gets touched with the power of God. They fall out, and they just they start encountering Jesus, right? And the whole time, the manager of the store had been watching me from, from her office, watching me pray for people. And so she comes out and she says, who are you and what are you, what are you doing? Because you've been doing this for quite some time, and, and this is kind of strange what you're doing. I says, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm just out here trying to love on people, be a blessing to people. She says, you're kidding. I said, what do you mean? She said, I, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. She said, but last night I just cried out of my heart, God, if you're out there, if there's any, any proof of this, you need to send a Christian. I said, all right. And she says, I have a tumor right here on the side of my hip. Will you pray for me? I said, yeah, absolutely. I laid hands on her. I prayed for her. At this time, I had seen no, no miracle whatsoever. I laid hands on her, prayed for her. This peace comes over, but the tumor is still there. Well, she goes home that night. She goes to sleep. She wakes up the next morning. When she goes to get out of the bed, the tumor falls off of her hip onto the floor and disappears. <laughs> When I went to the gas station that day, how do you think she was responding? I mean, she came, she came running out of that door looking for the good-looking bald guy. I mean, she came out like, where is it? And she grabbed me and just bear-hugged me at this gas station. She says, I, I, the tumor literally fell off. She says, I believe now. She says, I, I want the God that you have. You see, if I had never seen myself healing the sick, I would have never seen myself healing the sick. Some of you are not operating in the supernatural power of God because you don't see yourself operating in the supernatural power of God. You disqualify yourself by what you think, by what you meditate, by what you see on the inside. I've postured my heart where I want to see the images that God wants to construct. And as soon as that miracle took place, I began to see all kind of things begin to happen in my city. At the time, our church was about 30 people. I wasn't a senior pastor. I'm just a pastor on the staff there. And over the next three years, because of the work and the things that we began to do in the neighborhood, the church grew from about 30 people to around 500 in, in the next three years. And people started getting set free, started getting healed, getting, getting redeemed, all these things. But it started with a redneck in the state of Alabama sitting in a mobile home that he paid $4,500 for dreaming with God. So I want to see my town, my city, I want to see it impacted by the presence of God. I, I want to see it transformed. And I literally would sit there in my house, and I would picture what heaven would look like in my community. 
Matthew 6 says it's for his will for it to be done on earth as it is in and I begin to picture what would my town look like if there's, if there's no sickness and no disease. Like what, what, what would my city look like if heaven was so manifested there? Whew. Fast forward probably another five or six years. I'm an associate pastor getting ready to probably take over the church at some point. And the Lord begins to speak to my heart again. He says, now, William, I want you to begin to dream. I want you to begin to see yourself going to the nations. Listen, from where I'm from, it is a big deal to leave the county, much less the state. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I, I, I remember, yeah, I remember I, had a, I was a prophet that came to our church and called me out in the, in the back of the auditorium and said, hey, I see a great destiny on you, young man. One day God might can use you in the next county. And I'm thinking, man, what the, that's all I can ever do in my life is go to the next county? And, and, and so when I first told family and friends and people that I wanted to go to the nations of the world, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that God's going to use you? So you got to get to a point with this life in your life where you value the voice of God more than your fear of man's opinion. And I have finally got to this point where I didn't care what people thought or said. I did not care what my history was because my history was now his story. And in his story, I've been redeemed and set free, righteous and pure and holy. In his story, I am a son of God. In his story, I have been anointed and called and filled with his spirit, his resurrection, working powers inside of me. In his story, I was called to go to the nations. Two years after seeing myself go to the nations, the Lord speaks a word to my heart, and he brings Randy Clark's face to my mind. At the time, I had no connection with Randy Clark. I had no connection with Global Awakening. I knew who they were. I had seen them before, but that was all the knowledge I had of them. And the Lord brings his face to my mind, and he says, this man is going to become a spiritual father to you, and I want you to go and serve him. I said, Okay. To be honest with you, I was already pastoring. We're already seeing miracles at our city. The church is already growing. I was not looking forward to going to school, right? And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, how am I going to do this? He said, well, I want you to step down from your pastorate position, and I want you to go to this ministry school because through the ministry school, I'm going to connect you with this man. And I've learned in my life to have quick obedience. And when I immediately called the pastor and I told him what the Lord spoke to me, we, he gathered the board together. I get before the board and I tell them what the Lord has spoke to me. And every single one of them says, man, we knew this was going to happen. <laughs> and the senior pastor looked at me. He says, yeah, I saw the calling on your life. I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to leave. <laughs> He was kind of semi-joking, but he was serious. 
He says, we, 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 we affirm the calling, we affirm the destiny, we affirm this next step in your life. And then the people in the congregation believed in me so much, they gave me enough money to pay for two years of school and to live for two years without having to work. So they didn't tip me, brother. They, they sowed a major seed into my life, and there I was. I, I, I had to leave where I was. I had to leave that town because my vision, oh, Lord, my, the images that God had produced in my heart had outgrown the environment in which I was in, and now if I stayed there, that environment would have stifled the dream. You see, some of you have outgrown your environments because there's a dream in your heart, but you have refused to leave that environment, and you're wondering why you feel so stifled is because you haven't stepped out and moved away. All of my family's right there. All of my friends right there. I know no one in this, this faraway country, Pennsylvania. Like at that point, I had hardly left the county, much less the state. I, I went into Georgia one time. I was like, oh, man, that's weird, you know. Like it, it was, and I had to go to Pennsylvania? It was hard. And so I get there. When I get to school, the Lord says, well, William, I want you to sit in the back row of the class, and I won't want you to answer questions. I don't want you to share testimonies because you're not here to perform for a position. I could have easily gone there with this word or this image in my heart and said, hey, look, I'm here to be Randy Clark's guy, and messed it all up. But I sat there for the, through the entire first year of, my, of, of, of the school, and we get to the end of the first year, we had to write a paper on our salvation experience. I shared my story last night. I was an atheist, drug addict, overdosed on, on, uh, on drugs, had Jesus himself appeared to me. That's how I got saved. And so I just write the paper about my story. My story is just my story, and I turn it in. The teachers get it, and they're like, boom, they're looking at it. And they says, well, we need to show this story, this paper to Randy. They go to Randy. They give Randy the paper. Randy reads my story, and he says, this man has been sovereignly chosen. He says, I want to meet him. I go through the end of my, my second year because they made me wait for the, for the meeting. And I get to the end of my, my second year there. And it's time for me to meet Randy. And I walk into the office to meet with him. And, and Randy says, I've read your story, and I believe God has sovereignly called you to go to the nations, which is exactly what the image that God told me to begin to dream and to form in my heart. He says, and I want you to travel with me as an intern for, for this next year for the potential of coming on staff. And so I start traveling with Randy. And I start seeing him in his, in his domain and learning from him. And I remember about six months into, into uh, uh, the internship, we're in Colombia, Medellin, Colombia, and we're ministering at this church with about 12,000 people. And, and Randy goes up one night, and he, and he says this. He says, well, I don't feel like preaching tonight. William, will you come up here and preach? And so I had about 30 seconds to construct a message, right? 
But what he didn't know is one thing that my pastor would do is he would call me out to minister and put me on the spot. So I started writing messages, even churches that I was just attending, I would write a sermon for that church as if I was going to preach that Sunday service. You see, preparation creates opportunity. And so Randy looks down at me, but he doesn't know. I've already have a message in my heart for that, for that 12,000 people. Listen, I ain't never preached in front of 12,000 people before, but I had preached in front of 12,000 people before many times in my heart. And so when the opportunity came because of the preparation of my heart and my mind, the moment wasn't too big. Oh, man. Because I was already comfortable standing before the people I had seen myself ministering to in the heart. I was already comfortable with everything God wanted to do in my life because I'd seen it. And I go up and I begin to preach. And as soon as I begin to preach, Randy's jaws literally drop. And I remember seeing it. I started laughing. And he, he's, like, he's like, oh, my God, this dude's crazy. And I'm just running around, and I'm just preaching the gospel. And at the end of the message, I'm talking, I don't know, several hundred people just get saved. And Randy gets to me, and he talks to me in the green room. He looks over at me. This gives you some insight about Randy. Randy leans over to me. He says, can I be your intern? <laughs> he says, I, I, I'm bringing you on staff immediately. Two weeks later, I'm on staff at Global Awakening. About two weeks roughly later, I'm on staff with Global Awakening. Randy says, now I want you to represent this ministry, represent the values that we have. I want you to go out as this ambassador, and I want you to, to teach the word and demonstrate the gifts of the Spirit because God has called you and anointed you to go to the nations, which was the image that God told me to see. You see, the imagination is the womb of your destiny. What you see is what you're conceiving. It is mighty quiet in here. I mean, you can hear a pin drop in this room. Is this helping? Amen. I know this is basic stuff, but this is something every single one of us do. Look at it this way. You're already thinking anyways. You might as well think like Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have faults anyway. Might as, well have, might as well have sanctified good thoughts in your heart. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Is this helping anybody? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, and this is a famous text. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, that's the reach of your prayer life, or think, that's the reach of your imagination, Ooh. according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations. Let's read that again. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, but here's the key component, according to the power that works within you. 
Do you realize that your imagination activates the power of the Spirit to create what you saw? I'm going to pull my hair out. Not because I'm mad. I just, just like, I want you to understand, when you begin to dream biblical dreams, it accesses the power of the Spirit that now has the creative working power to demonstrate that in your life. And he can do more than you can imagine. Everything that you see is a byproduct of somebody's imagination. Creation is a byproduct of God's imagination. You are a byproduct of his imagination. What he dreamed, you became. This is an untapped resource that the body of Christ is not utilizing. This is an untapped resource that we have right now inside of every single one of us that has uh, this ability to construct and form images. What are you seeing? One last text and I'll let the captives go. Proverbs 23, verse 7. My, my humor is so dry, you don't even know if I'm joking or not. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in himself, so he, for as a man thinks, so he is. Your state of being is dependent upon the meditation of your heart, and most of your trauma is a byproduct of improper use of the imagination. Listen, I come from a long line of people that has mental conditions. Do you realize your thoughts can activate and deactivate genes? Even though you have received through your family line certain genes that makes you prone to certain things, you can deactivate that gene because your body responds on a cellular level to your thoughts. And I'm tired of hearing the church say, well, it's because of my great-granddaddy that I'm an idiot. No, 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 it's because of what you're thinking is the reason you're an idiot. No, no, not you. It's because of what you're meditating on. It's because you're activating things in your heart God never put there. You need to understand this. You have another bloodline that you're now associated with, and it is the bloodline of your heavenly father, and he doesn't have the issues that your natural family has. So we've got to stop blaming the blaming things on our generational lines and start taking responsibility for what we're thinking and realizing if I align my thoughts to heaven, his word, I'm activating the DNA and the the blood of Jesus in my body, and I'm beginning to live according to a pure bloodline. Oh, man. <laughs> man, this is how I live. I don't know why it takes old country redneck from Alabama to go around the world to tell people this stuff. 
But this is how I live. For as a man thinketh in himself. I know I may sound redundant, family, but as a reason, I'm continuing to hammer this point in because we all have this resource. We all have this ability. You are the one that's in control of your destiny. We need to stop blaming our environments. We need to stop blaming our families. We need to stop blaming this. We need to stop blaming that. We need to start taking responsibility. You can, look at a, you can look at an alcoholic family that has multiple children. One child will grow up be just like the alcoholic father. The other child will never touch an ounce of alcohol a day in their life. Why? It, wasn't, it was be, by the way that they responded to their environment they determined. One person was externally controlled. The other person was internally controlled. I'm just letting you think. I'm just letting this sink into you. Father, I just asked it right now by your spirit that you would quicken our hearts, quicken our imagination, quicken the things in, inside of us that you want to construct right now, Lord. Matter of fact, I want every person in this room, I just want you to close your eyes. And I just want you right now, whatever your favorite Bible verse is, I'm going to teach you something. This is something I do daily. When I study the Bible, I meditate on the Bible, and, I, and I, I meditate on a verse until I see an image of it. And I want you to take your favorite Bible verse, whatever that is, and I want you to meditate on that verse until it forms an image. Because when it forms an image, that means that that seed of that word has been planted and has now germinated. It is beginning to grow. Any thought that doesn't have a corresponding image is not growing in our life. My favorite Bible verse for years was, has been Philippians 4.13, but now I think it's probably Romans chapter 12, verse 2. For do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, perfect, and acceptable. And what I do, family, on a daily basis when I'm studying, I, I, I will see words within the text conformed. Do not be conformed. That word conformed means to be made in the same pattern as. And so I see what that means, and it says be renewed. That word renewed means to renovate. It means I'm renovating the soul that gives honor to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I see sometimes, and I'm, I, when I look at that word renovate, and I see myself on the inside like a home, 
And I see myself decorating that home, and I'm putting pictures on the wall of my mind, pictures of me and Jesus, not me and my pain, not me and my history, not me, me and my addictions, but me and Jesus. You see, what I'm doing is I'm renovating, and I'm seeing an image of it. Even right now, I'm watching myself go through the home, my home, and I'm looking in the rooms, and I'm seeing, is this room dedicated to God? Is this a place of worship, or is this a place of sin in my heart, in my heart or life that I need to change? I know this may feel awkward right now, but utilize what God has given you. Construct that image. I want you to picture with me right now the last portion of John chapter 8, verse 32. For you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This is the first image that the Lord showed me with that text. And the image is this right here. I just want you to listen for a minute. The image that the Lord constructed in my heart with this text is that I was standing in this prison cell. And while I was standing in this prison cell, I looked down at my hand and I had a key in my hand. And on that key had the word truth written on it. And I looked in front at the door of my prison cell and I noticed there was bars there. And so I just simply stuck my hand through the door of my own prison and I put the key in that lock and I turned that key and I opened the door to that own prison cell and I stepped out of that prison into the freedom of the truth. It was one of the first images that the Lord gave me. It is an image that is still resident in my heart today. It is an image that I know I am on the other side of that prison cell. I am no longer bound by it. I'm no longer in it. But I had the choice to either stay there or to walk out. You see, Jesus freed you, but it's your responsibility to step into that freedom. He gave you everything that you needed to walk in victory and freedom, but it's your responsibility to appropriate it. You see it, family? Do you see yourself walking out? Do you see yourself walking off of that property right now? See yourself, you, uh, that place that used to incarcerate you, now you can leave it because you're not bound by it. Now see yourself walking out of that prison. Now you're not just out of the cell. Now you're walking out of that prison itself. Now you're out on the lawn. Now, now you're walking through the gates with those, with those wired fences were holding you captive. Now you're out of that. Now I want you to see the world around you. I want you to see the possibilities around you. The truth sets you free to impossibility, to see the possibilities of life, to see the possibilities of what he wants to do with you. Family, this is just a normal basic practice that I have. I don't just sit around and dream dreams randomly. I allow the word to construct the image. 
Because I know that word will construct an image of his world. The word of God reveals the world of God. I just sense right now that some of you are already, you're experiencing peace in your heart. You're experiencing emotional stability in your heart. Right now, if that's you, I just want you to wave your hand just real quick. I just want to see. If you just, you just feel peace, just by doing this little practice here. Right here, right here. It's all over. You see how simple that was? This is a practice that you can do every single day. This is a practice that I want to leave with you, that I want to give you. Family, if the unsanctified imagination was as powerful as Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, explain how much more powerful would the sanctified imagination be? If we started giving birth to the things of the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, now you can open your eyes. Could you feel a shift in the room when we begin to do that? Could you feel a shift in your heart when we begin to do that? During worship, my wife was sitting beside me, and she's an extreme feeler. And when she comes into an environment, and when she's with me a lot of times, I'm listening to what she's perceiving in the atmosphere. And, and during worship, she was beginning to have an experience that I thought would be pertinent for you tonight as well as a word for for people. And so I'm going to ask my wife to come up, but before she does, I want to explain kind of her function and how her gift operates. About seven years ago, we were in a service like this. There was an altar call, and she, she beat me to the altar, praise God. Man, I knew I married right when she outran me to worship Jesus. If you're looking for a, a, a spouse, Run after Jesus, and when you hit top speed, whoever can keep up, marry them. <laughs> That's what I did. But when she ran up to the altar, Will Hart, the minister, laid hands on the top of her head. She goes out under the power of the Spirit and vibrated for 12 hours. I had to pick her up. I had to carry her home. I had to go up the steps. I had to put her in the bed, and she's just vibrating under this power. Up to that point, she had seen a few people saved, a few people healed, and a few people delivered. But since that time, since this impartation, there's two manifestations of gifting that happens with her. Now, both of these manifest manifestations are, is a sovereign thing that God does with her specifically. It's not something that we're role modeling for you to try to do yourself, to imitate or to incorporate. This is a sovereign thing that God has done with her. The two manifestations is this. Now when the Spirit touches her, she begins to shake and vibrate like she did when the first impartation happened. The second manifestation that takes place is a shout comes out. With both of these manifestations, we've seen people get delivered. We've seen people get healed. We've seen people get saved. Prior to that, there's a few people, but now it's thousands of people. The reason I'm explaining it in this way, because I don't want you to get distracted by the manifestation that you missed the message. I wonder what Balaam was thinking when his donkey turned around and looked at him and started talking. I mean, what would you do tonight if you got home and your dog was like, man, you better get right with Jesus. 
I mean, it's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Like, we either believe the Bible or we don't. I'm just saying. That's strange stuff there. But you know Balaam was talking to that donkey like it was normal. I mean, I know some of you already talk to your animals like it's normal. Part of your family. But the point that I'm bringing up right now is that there is an anointing on her that is a sovereign thing that God has placed and is specific for her. So I don't want you to see that manifestation and think, oh, I have to do that in order for the Holy Spirit to move. That's hers. I don't feel a thing. I hardly ever feel anything, which means I can go pretty much anywhere and I'm a good because... I hardly ever feel anything, but I function as a knower. Like, I know things that are ha- take a place in the room and the atmosphere. I, I operate in discernment. And so with that being said, babe, I want to invite you to come up here. And I want you to share what the 